Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 709 for the 17th of Cheshvan in a regular year. The other day, I was passing by this farmer's market that is uh, right near Prospects Park in my area, and I saw this guy who was who had a booth, and he was selling these different kind of ornaments, different kind of like little decorative items that he had made out of natural items that he found in his travels. So these items included things like rocks, shells, uh, branches, all kinds of different things like that. And indeed, there's something very alluring about these natural items. There, you might even know people who, who collect rocks. It's a common hobby. Uh, sometimes people go so far as to kind of feel like that they're getting like energy out of rocks, right? Which is maybe <laughs> quasi-idolatry. So it's not something that we really encourage. But um, th- there is something to the fact that like we kind of see that this beauty in nature, this beauty in different rocks. There's one type of rock, though, that really is over and above all else which there's kind of like this consensus that there's something special about it. What is this type of rock? This type of rock is a crystal, right? There's something really magical about a crystal. Why? Because a crystal, and really in its purest form, let's think about like a white crystal, uh, a crystal is is really, um, on the one hand, it's devoid of its own kind of color, but by virtue of the the shape of the crystal and by virtue of kind of like the tone of the crystal, it's very bright and very, and, and it illuminates. And especially if we think of like a, a, a clear crystal, like a, a translucent crystal, a crystal that, that doesn't have any specific color to it, these can be really, really magical because it's like, even though they themselves are devoid of color, uh, on the other hand, they reflect color and they, they sort of, there's like a color that illuminates outside of them. So what's really interesting is in Kabbalah, there's this term, which is called the dew of the crystal, or in Aramaic, it's Tala Dibedulcha, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And this Tala Dibedulcha, what it represents in Kabbalistic literature is the supernal Chochmah of Hashem. Or to get even more technical, it's the Mochastima'a of Arich Anpin, the hidden Chochmah, like the concealed Chochmah in this level of Arich Anpin, which is a level that is even higher than revealed Chochmah. And the reason why it's referred to as such as being this dew of the crystal is because just like that crystal, that translucent crystal that we're talking about, it kind of is like um, devoid of actual color 
from on the inside it's it doesn't actually have any color on the inside it's the source of all colors like if you think of like a prism right a prism is literally can reflect like any color at all and this is really the idea the idea of mohastima uh, or the supernal chachma is this is this is like this level that transcends any clear concrete definition of anything any type of like very specific type of uh, illumination but it's kind of the source of all illuminations it's like this reversion back to the source and so when we receive influence from this level this is a very very high level this is a level that is beyond the more standard types of um, measured types of illumination that we usually get so this is really high stuff that we're talking about and why are we bringing all of this up why am i bringing up this this catalytic idea of the duo de crystal because it comes up in today's tanya and so i wanted to kind of start off today with uh, going straight there going straight to the this um this lofty t- concept, which is going to come up in today's Tanya episode. And the subject of today's Tanya episode, we can get into that now, is actually a similar type of theme of that which we've been talking about in the past few episodes, namely how to relate to a tzaddik, a righteous person, after they pass away. And um, we were originally talking about this in reference to, it was, uh, we studied a, a letter of condolence that the ultra Rebbe wrote to his chassidim after Rabbi Menachem Mendel Vitebsk passed away. And today we're going to be beginning a new letter and it's another letter of condolence, but this time it's a letter of condolence that the ultra Rebbe wrote to Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev after the passing of his son unfortunately. So just for some context, the Alter Rebbe and Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev were actually related through marriage in the sense that the Alter Rebbe's granddaughter married Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev's grandson. So, and to be more specific, it was the, it was the Alter Rebbe's son was, uh, was uh, the Mitzler Rebbe, Rabbi Dov bearer of Lubavitch, that's the second Lubavitcher Rebbe. So his daughter married Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev's grandson. So this made Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev and the altar of relatives through marriage. And while this grandson of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev was, did not go on to become a Rebbe, like, uh, like Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, I believe was considered to be a Rebbe and the altar Rebbe was considered to be a Rebbe. The Mitzel Rebbe was considered to be a Rebbe. So this grandson wasn't a Rebbe. His name was Rabbi Meir, but he nevertheless was a Tzaddik, according to this letter. And according to the way the Alter Rebbe suggests that, that uh, Rabbi Levi Tzchak of Berdichev relate to him. So this letter is a letter of consolation to Rabbi Levi Tzchak of Berdichev after the passing of Rabbi Levi Tzchak of Berdichev's grandson. And today we're going to be looking at the first half of the letter in which the Alter Rebbe brings up uh, the passing of another tzaddik in our history, namely the passing of Miriam, Miriam the prophetess, and, where, and its placement in the Bible and how its placements in the Bible is placed right near the red heifer, the, the laws concerning the red heifer. And the altar is going to begin to talk about this a little bit and why this is, why it's placed next to the, um, the laws concerning the red heifer. And as we'll learn, this, the laws concerning the passing of the red heifer correspond to this dew of the crystal that we've been discussing. There was something unique about the red heifer, the sacrifice of the red heifer, that was different than any other sacrifices in the sense that it tapped into this dew of the crystal, this tal de bedrucha, in a way that the other sacrifices did not. And that somehow shows us, it illustrates to us the greatness 
of a tzaddik that is illustrated when they pass away. So it's kind of a little abstract today, but hopefully this introduction gave you a little bit of context. And let's get into the text and see how the Altar Rebbe explains all of this. So once we, once again, for context, we are beginning a new epistle today, Epistle 28 of Igeris HaKodesh. And uh, for some reason in the text, the introduction to this epistle was... Um, was was part of yesterday's uh, was written as part of yesterday's portion of the Tanya. Uh, however, when I look online and I look at um, lessons in Tanya, it's included in today's. So I'll say the introduction today. So the introduction to today's epistle is that this is a letter. What we're going to be learning is this is a letter that we, that the Altarber wrote to his relative by marriage, who is the the renowned rabbi, the very famous rabbi, the man of God who is uh, holy, this holy man of God, who is a candle uh, for Israel and a pillar of the right hand, a mighty hammer, our master, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, may his soul rest in heaven, uh, the head of the rabbinical court of the holy community of Berdichev. Uh, so just a lot of approbations here with the altar of really displaying his great respect and love for this very holy man. And indeed, they were very close when they were both alive. So uh, yeah, so this letter is is written, says the Altar Rebbe, in order to console him over the passing of his son, the Holy Rabbi, Rav Meir. So just to, to correct myself, I think I made a mistake in the introduction that I said that it was about the passing of his grandson. So that was a mistake. So the marriage, the, the way that they were related was through the grandson. So the Altar Rebbe's granddaughter was married to Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev's grandson. However, this letter of consolation was after was written to Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev after the passing of his son, not his grandson, but his son, Rav Meir. So the altar rabbi begins this uh, this letter, and he brings a, a a citation from the Gemara, teaching from the Gemara, where there's a question that's asked: Why is it that the the section of the Torah regarding um, Miriam, the prophet Miriam, where she passed away, why is it right next to the passage concerning the Paraduma, the red heifer? And then the Gemara goes on and it answers this question. And it says, in order to teach you that the same way that the Paraduma, the red heifer, atones, so too does the passing of the righteous atone. So basically to reiterate so we we find in the torah the story of the passing of miriam and the uh and the laws concerning the red heifer are right next to each other and that's in order to teach you that they have something in common that both of them the passing of a righteous person and the red heifer have the power to atone now the altarba says okay but we need to understand why is it specifically next to the red heifer that as the red heifer of all like all sacrifices atone. The red heifer is a very strange sacrifice to associate with this at first glance. Why? Because there's, this red heifer was different than many other sacrifices in the sense that it was prepared outside of the three camps. And thus, it wasn't actually a real sacrifice, like a proper sacrifice. So yes, the Torah calls it a sin offering. It calls it a chatas. Um, 
but it's not really technically a chatas. It's not technically a sin offering the way other sacrifices are that are done within the temple. Uh, so why is it like you would think that like if we're talking about atonement and that how the atonement of a, a tzaddik atones, the passing of a tzaddik atones, we would think that it would be put next to the story would be put next to the story of the actual sacrifices that took that happens that occurred within right there within on the altar, like a real atonement, right? Okay, now we're going to, the altar rep is going to take us on a journey where he's going to explain to us the spiritual underpinnings of these, of these different types of sacrifices. So the altar rep says that it's known, uh, according to the Arizal, in the secret of the Korbanas on the, on the altar. So the Arizal explains that this, that these uh, sacrifices that were made on the altar, these have to do with the idea of mine nukvin, the feminine waters that come from the nefesh of Bahamas that's in Noga. So what does this mean? So basically, if you've been following along and learning Tanya for a while, you know that all of us have something called a nefesh of Bahamas. We have an animal soul. This animal soul, this part of us, our animal soul, this, is, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. This is something that can do good, it can do bad, but what makes it animal, animalistic, is that it's, it's, it acts according to instinct. It acts according to nature. It doesn't rise over and above its instinct. And our job as Jews in this world is to subdue our animal nature and to control our animal nature, to kind of like break the animal and not just live according to our instincts. And so when we would give animal sacrifices in the temple, this was sort of like the underlying spiritual reason behind it is that we would take a physical animal to represent our animalistic nature, our animal soul. And in sacrificing it on the temple, it was sort of like that this was a way for us to sacrifice our animal souls. And this animal soul, as we've also learned, comes from a place called Klipas Noga, from the 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 translucent husks of Noga. So it's this place that conceals godliness, and this needs to be bro broken uh, and elevated, right? And this process of elevating the animal soul, elevating the Klipas Noga, is, is called the Main Nukvin, the feminine waters. It's the waters from below that we're like offering up to God. And these waters rise back up to their source and to the root. And um, when they rise back to their source and their root, this these animals, what is their root? What is their source? This is the four animals that are on the chariot above. So you might have heard about this chariot. We've spoken about it before. It's described in in the in the vision of Yechazkel that there's this chariot that he saw in his vision. And on this chariot, there was uh, there was these four faces, and they were these four faces of uh, of animals of different kind of animals. There was the face of the ox, the face of the eagle, um, the face of the lion and the face of man. These four faces were on the chariot and they represent, they, they're sort of like the the spiritual level of these animals. So in giving these sacrifices, it's like this, this feminine water that we're lifting up to God. It causes the animals that we sacrifice on the altar to revert back up to their source there. And when that happens, when this these feminine waters rise up, this causes a corresponding drawing down of what's known as the main duchin, the masculine waters. So it's like the feminine waters arouse the masculine waters, um, which is a, which comes about in a way of the Adam that's on the throne, the man. So remember, there's four faces: the ox, the eagle, the lion, and man. So the face of man, uh, this is like the highest of all of the faces. And this is what gets elicited when we 
or when we send up the feminine waters, what gets elicited is the masculine waters, uh, as represented as represented through the through ma- the man that's on the throne that's on the chariot, and this man is also called Malka, a king, and also Zer Anpin, a small face. So now, if you've been following along again the Tanya for a while, you know, these words might start familiar to sounding familiar to you. Malka, Zer Anpin, that kind of thing. This is levels uh, of spheros within Attilus. So Malchus of Attilus, we've talked about. This is like where all of um, creation comes about from, and. And then the the what's higher than Malchus of Attilus is Zer Anpin. That's the six uh, emotive attributes within Attilus. So that's what happens. That's the levels that we tap into when we offer animal sacrifices. Okay, so that's regular animal sacrifices. Now, okay, what about Paraduma? What about the red heifer? So now we're going to learn that the red heifer actually is there's something special about it. The fact that it was. Uh, that, that it was prepared outside of the three camps. This doesn't show us that there was something lesser about it, but in fact, as we'll see, the red heifer, the paraduma, actually taps into something even higher than that. So uh, what happened was that in the burning, in the process of burning the red heifer, then through the and through the the throwing of the cedar wood and the hyssop and etc and that kind of thing so this was the the ritual of the red heifer this drew down sanctity from above and also by placing the water into the ashes of the red heifer which was part of that ritual as well then this um which was called the sanctification of the purifying waters um this this corresponds to the Kodesh HaElyon, to the supernal holiness, which is called the Tala di Bidlucha. This is what we spoke about in the introduction, the dew of the crystal. So basically, so just kind of to bring that down for you a little bit here, is that this ritual of the red heifer and the burning of the red heifer and the throwing in of the cedar wood and the hyssop and all the things involved with that and the, and the placing the water into the ashes um, this water corresponds to the a water that's above what water does it correspond to above it corresponds to this dew this this dew of the crystal above so it's like we were just like when we offer regular sacrifices we're, we're sacrificing an animal below and that arouses animal faces is above like it goes back to their animal sources above the water that was utilized in the the ritual of the red heifer that arouse arouses a water above that that water above is what we know of as the dew of the crystal and now we're going to explore a little bit like what is this dew of the crystal so in this holy zohar it talks about that this dew of the crystal this tala di bidlucha is referred to as chokhma ilas supernal chokhma or otherwise known as uh, the hidden brain of Arich Anpin. So these are very Kabbalistic ideas. But again, as I explained in the introduction, this is basically referring to a very high level, like sort of like the brain, the supernal brain. So like it's sort of like if we think about Malchus Vatsilis and Zer Anpin, that's like where creation happens. That's like where it all kind of actually, this is the, like now this is where cre- the creation of the world begins. Um, so the kind of the origin of that, like the, the kind of, um, the the nerve center for that is the chokhmah the supernal chokhmah and that's what we know of as being this dew of the crystal and about this level says the altar rabbi but the the zohar describes this level of this chokhmah and the mochastima um the zohar says that this through this chokhmah they are refined and it also says that it that darkness gets transformed to light which 
which references the world of tikkun, which uh, what is the world of tikkun? The world of tikkun is the world of rectification, uh, because this the world gets rectified through this mochastima arich anpin, which comes from the world of tohu and the shvirah sekelim and the breaking of the vessels that that sh- uh, shattered and broke and broke uh, in Brie, Tiranesia, etc., as is known. And this is what the red heifer accomplishes. This is the purification that the red heifer accomplishes because the red heifer, it was known it purified the dead. Um, so even though, and this is why it was su- such a powerful thing because, because there's like death is the ultimate level of impurity and much, much, much lower than Noga, but yet the red heifer had the power to purify it. Okay. So that's the end of the section. And I know it's a lot, very technical, a lot of like very Kabbalistic kind of details here. It's really easy to get caught up in the weeds and we don't really have to get caught up in all of the details necessarily. Uh, the main takeaway to take from all of this is that this dew of the crystal or the mochastima, the hidden or supernal chachma has the power to rectify total chaos, to rectify the shattering of the vessels, the world of tohu. And this is a very intense thing. This is this relates to the red heifer in the sense that the red heifer also had this tremendous power to be able to pu- to Im- to purify from death, which is the ultimate of impurity. So that's what both of these things have in common. Is this like very profound ability to rectify something that seems otherwise irrectifiable like it's like death in that level of impurity is is way below even klipas noga which klipas noga we know is yes it's a klipa it's a has that conceals god but it's not it's not an ultimate klipa it it has the potential to be elevated and the elevation of klipas noga can come about through regular sacrifices but the sacrifice of the red heifer was doing something even more greater and more amazing than that and somehow the passing letzadik relates to that level to that level of the red heifer and to that level of the crystal of the dew of the crystal of the mochastima so that being said um we will stop here and we're going to continue tomorrow when we learn the second half of this letter of condolence um and get deeper into some of these ideas and i will speak to you then thanks for listening to the it is top podcast hosted by sarit switzer this podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzchak ben Benyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistot.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.